What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, where today I am talking about the highest paid movie roles of all time, including one where an actor made $100 million for a single movie. Crazy numbers on this. I'm just fascinated with how much actors get paid for movies, so I want to talk about that. I will also give my review for the movie Honey Boy starring Shia LaBeouf, and I will give my top five movies of the decade. I'll give you a clue right now to one of them. Here's a clip. Now, gentlemen. If you care to join me in the parlor, we will be serving white cake. If you can identify that clip, that is a movie in my top five list. So I'll get to all that here in this episode. Thanks for hitting play and download wherever you're listening to this right now. I hope that you join me every single week and hit follow and subscribe. And I'm a brand new podcast, so it would really be helpful if you rate and review this podcast after listening to it. If you liked it, hit me with those five stars and tell a friend, hey, you know Mike from the Bobby Bone Show? Yeah, he has a movie podcast now. I've never heard him talk this much in my life, but it's actually pretty good. That would mean so much to me. I'm really passionate about doing this podcast, so if you guys join me, it would mean so much. All right, let's get started with the show. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. All right, so I want to talk about the highest paid movie roles of all time because I am fascinated with movie numbers because you don't really sell a movie nowadays by the big name. It used to be you put Tom Cruise in a movie and that movie is guaranteed to be number one no matter what. Now it's a little bit different because there's so many things out there and people sometimes don't go to the movies as much. They'll watch something that's streaming. 
and if they're going to go to the movies, they're going to see something huge and it's going to be an experience. So now people are more attached to franchises. You're going because you want to see the newest Avengers movie, the newest Jurassic Park movie, the latest chapter in it. You're connected more to franchises than you are big name actors. For me, I don't really go to movies anymore just because an actor's in it. That's very rare now for me. So I just kind of dove into what actor salaries are based on and some of the biggest, highest grossing roles of all time, which is what I want to get into first. All right, so let's get into the list. The highest paid movie roles of all time, including one where an actor made $100 million for a single movie, which is crazy. And the whole thing that led me to this topic is because I saw Ryan Reynolds is doing a movie for Netflix called Six Underground. And he is making $27 million for one role, which for 2019, he's not the highest paid star, but that is like the highest paying role of the year. Interesting thing, though, about Netflix, when you think about it, because the because some of these other deals, why they make so much is because actors will maybe take less money up front to get some on the back end, which is a deal you can make because um, when movies get up, put out in theaters, you can take some of the ticket sales. Different thing when it comes to streaming services now, which more movies are trying to move. They're like, if they can't get a movie out in theatrical release, they'll put it on Netflix. But the way they get those movies made is they offer actors a lot more money, but there's no back end. Because once a movie is out on a streaming service, there's no bonuses to make. You don't get a bonus because so many people stream it like you would if more people go see the movie in theaters and it's a big hit. It's just an asset to Netflix for having a big movie with Ryan Reynolds. But after that, it's like, okay, we paid you your $27 million. Goodbye. There it is. But I just thought that was interesting. He gets paid so much for a single role. So I wanted to talk about what other actors have made for one role and if they had some kind of deal like that. So at number 10 is Leonardo DiCaprio for his role in Inception. He made $50 million, which is a lot for Leonardo DiCaprio. And according to Forbes, he took a pay cut because the movie was like, it was so risky. So he took like, he normally charges like $20 million for a role, but he took much less for this role because the concept was just weird. It was like Christopher Nolan, who also directed, you know, all the Batman movies, all the Dark Knight ones. He came to him with this idea for Inception, which if you haven't seen Inception, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's a movie about a dream inside a dream It was a bizarre plot, so he decided to take less money, but he's like, all right, if the movie is a hit, I want to kind of split like the first dollar gross point of this movie. So he ended up making $50 million on that on the back end. And I think without Leonardo DiCaprio, that movie probably wouldn't have been the same. Like there were some other really great actors, Ellen Page, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Tom Hardy, all really great in that movie. But I think without him, it wouldn't have been a hit. So, hey, pay the guy $50 million. At number nine, another $50 million take home for Jack Nicholson, which he was paid $6 million up front for his role as Joker in the 1989 Batman movie. And his deal was kind of that same thing is because he also wanted an end of the box office earnings and merchandise from its upcoming sequels that he didn't even appear in. I don't know how you get this role, this deal now. Like not only am I going to get ticket sales from this movie, but also merchandise from upcoming sequels. Like, I think he's still probably making a good amount of money just off playing the Joker. Pretty legit. 
coming in at number eight is Johnny Depp for playing Jack Sparrow in one of the pirate sequels, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, which the movie is a really expensive movie. Production costs over $410 million. And I remember when these movies were huge, everybody would go see them. Johnny Depp nowadays, I feel like, like at this point in his career, Putting him in a movie would be a guaranteed hit. And then he just started to have some flops there. And now I kind of feel putting Johnny Depp in a movie is a big risk to take because he hasn't had a hit in a long time. I don't think he has that same kind of passion for like taking on good roles anymore. And Johnny Depp even admitted that he was overpaid for the Pirates movie because at the end of the day, for every sequel, every movie he was in, he made $300 million combined, which is a lot of money and probably explains why he spends like thousands of dollars on wine every month. And you're set for life. That's probably why he's not putting out anything good anymore. But anyway, at number eight, Johnny Depp, $55 million for Pirates of the Caribbean. One single movie, $300 million for the entire franchise. Woo! Coming in at number seven, Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump in Forrest Gump. Made $60 million, which is a lot of money in 1994 when this movie came out. Because he did it in exchange for, once again, yep, a portion of the box office earnings. The movie ended up making $680 million worldwide. And on the back end, he took home a pretty good paycheck right there. <laughs> and then not only... Made Tom Hanks a bunch of money. Also earned him the Academy Award for Best Actor in 1994. So a pretty good deal. And again, taking money a little less up front, but money on the back end, making $60 million, puts him at number seven on this list. At number six, you got Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of Crystal Skull, which is when they brought him back to play Indiana Jones in 2008. And um, Harrison Ford, a bit older now at this point so to get him back you're gonna have to pay him a lot of money and not only pay him a lot of money you're gonna have to work out a deal between him the director steven spielberg and producer george lucas so they worked out a deal to where they would all split a large portion of the film earnings between them three to get them all back together because i think without those three people an indiana jones movie doesn't work and when you're gonna revamp an old beloved franchise I think having, I mean, those three are some of the three biggest people in film history. Not only Harrison Ford as an actor, but Steven Spielberg, probably the best director of our lifetime, probably of all time. He's up there. And George Lucas as producing this movie. You need all those three people. Um, so working out a deal for them to split all the earnings Got Harrison Ford, $65 million. And, I mean, they're even still working on another Indiana Jones project. It is untitled. Um, there's a release date for July 9th, 2021. They still have Steven Spielberg directing the thing and starring Harrison Ford. Uh, no report really on a, like a main title, who else is in it, what it's about. But he'll probably do another split share and make a lot of money off of this one, which I'd be curious to see Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones at 77 years old. I mean, that dude survived like a plane crash. Um, he's still been in the Star Wars movies. So, I mean, I'll see a 77-year-old Indiana Jones. Bring it on. Pay him all the money. All right, we are to the top five and coming in again at number five as the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland, Johnny Depp which came out in 2010, where they were just handing over money to Johnny Depp, apparently, which he raked in another $68 million for Alice in Wonderland as the Mad Hatter. 
Not really a great movie. Not really well reviewed. And it was Tim Burton. And like, I like Tim Burton movies enough. Like, like I liked his Batman back in the day. When, when he directs a movie, you know it's Tim Burton. I didn't like what he did with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, also starring Johnny Depp. And I didn't really like these Alice in Wonderland movies because you're taking the cartoon from our, not even my childhood, but the beloved cartoon of Alice in Wonderland, and he's revamping it in such a weird and dark way, which I get it. If you revamp something, you want to make it different. You want to make it your own. They give it to Tim Burton because he's going to do that, and he's going to do it his way. But I just didn't enjoy it. It's too weird. Like, I don't like, I don't really like his style of taking on these movies and making them kind of dark and twisted. They just come out boring and not fun to watch. And he has like a really great relationship with Johnny Depp and putting him to star and things. And they pay him a lot of money. But when it comes to him working with Johnny Depp, we can just cut that relationship because I'm not all about it. At number four, our first female actor to make the list. We have the movie Gravity, Dr. Ryan Stone. I'm talking about Sandra Bullock, who made $70 million for Gravity, which she was paid $20 million up front, which is a pretty impressive number on its own because Hollywood tends to pay female actors a little bit less. There's a lot of controversy going on with that right now when it comes to actresses like Gal Gadot for Wonder Woman getting paid Mm, six figures to star in Wonder Woman. Meanwhile, Henry Cavill for Superman is getting paid millions and millions of dollars. So for this movie to come out back in 2013 and her to make $20 million up front, but it also included a 15% of the box office revenue, which got her at least $70 million, which I think is awesome. And the landscape of today, I don't think it's a necessarily a thing of we need to pay there needs to be a certain level that we pay each actor. I get it. You have to pay actors on their resume, what they will draw to a movie theater, what they will draw to streaming numbers. But I also think if somebody is doing able to bring in that same amount of revenue, they are a big name. You need to pay them the same amount as you would pay anybody else working in that movie. You don't see George Clooney on this list because the draw of the movie was Sandra Bullock. She was the star of that movie. So I think we just need to pay A-list actors what they're worth and what they are bringing in despite gender, despite anything else. If somebody is bringing in that money, they deserve to get paid. If somebody is going to pay a ticket price to see them in a movie, they need to get paid. That is the point of it at the end of the day. I do also think there are less big roles just written for women. Like in general, I go to the movies and a lot of them are male roles as the lead, female co-stars. That happens a lot. I think now I'm starting to see a lot more female directors, which is great because I love stories told from a female perspective. I think they're a lot, like the whole feel is a lot different. Like Honey Boy was directed by a female director, has a whole different feel that you're able to connect with. Um, but this has been going on since like back in the 80s. Back in the, like in the 80s, very few movies were starring uh, women because they wanted big action movie, tough movies, big Hollywood productions, explosions, bleh. So it was hard back in the day for like a female lead to get a role, not just a starring role, and then again to get paid the same amount as a male co-star. So props to Sandra Bullock for making $70 million for Gravity. Love it. At number three, you got Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is a big franchise to begin with. 
Tom Cruise, arguably one of the biggest Hollywood actors of all time, and he made $75 million for the fourth Mission Impossible, which also allowed him to top Forbes' highest paid actors for 2012 when this movie came out. And they're also making a new Top Gun movie next year, which he actually took a pay decrease to get the movie made because I think he's asking for about 12 to $14 million for that movie. A lot less than he would normally take it, like 20 to $25 million for a starring role. But I think he's doing all right. And I think that's more of him just wanting to put out a new Top Gun movie. I actually am not just a big Tom Cruise fan. Like I, I, don't, I just don't really get him. Like, not as a person, but as an actor. I can't really watch anything that he's in. Not a big fan of Top Gun. I don't even really like the Mission Impossible movies, aside from, like, the first one. He's just one of those actors where I see him on screen, and I'm like, mm, not for me. All right, and at number two, we have made it to the actor who made $100 million for a single role. His character name was Agent J. The movie was Men in Black 3. I am talking about Will Smith. And this was just his base pay for the movie Men in Black 3, which went on to make $624 million. And he got paid $100 million of that just to play Agent J to have Will Smith back in this movie, which overall I thought the movie was the worst Men in Black movie of all the series. Number one can't be touched. The first Men in Black, amazing. It set off kind of Will Smith's really big movie career at that point. Went on to make a sequel. Eh, it was all right. But this one came out way too late. At a point, like, you don't want another Men in Black movie. And it just kind of fell flat for me, even though he made a lot of money and the movie made a good amount of money. Probably the worst Men in Black movie. And I think Will Smith now is kind of that actor who, at one point, anything you put him in, people are going to go see. It's going to be a big hit. You can't really put Will Smith in a movie now and it'd be a guaranteed hit. He's getting paid $35 million from Netflix to make a sequel to that movie that went straight to Netflix called Bright. They're making Bright 2 for Netflix. And it was one of the most ridiculed movies on Netflix when it came out. Got like the worst reviews ever for a Netflix movie. But Netflix said it was still like one of their most streamed movies. And they're paying him $35 million to come back to that. I don't think he's one of those actors you can just put in a movie and have it be a hit. But made $100 million on one single role. And at number one, the highest paid movie role of all time goes to Keanu Reeves as Neo in the Matrix trilogy where he made a combined $250 million for playing Neo. Um, Keanu Reeves has kind of been through this, I guess, like reinventing himself in a way, like not that he ever really went away, but with the John Wick movies and with him kind of being just such a big like hit online, people want more Keanu Reeves. He's making a Bill and Ted sequel and they're making a new Matrix movie. The Matrix 4 is in pre-production right now, so he will add to his total of his highest paid role as Neo, which he's kind of famously, stories have come out of how he's given part of his earnings to like the production staff to make the movie better he's like i'm getting paid so much money i'll give money to people working on the movie to make it a better movie so all around i think keanu reeves is just a nice guy i also liked him in always be my maybe this year and very rare for an actor to be able to do not only hardcore violence action movies like john wick but also like sci-fi movies like the matrix and then doing movies like Always Be My Maybe, where he's a comedic actor. And then he's even going to be in like the new SpongeBob movie next year. So Keanu Reeves, pretty big range. 
So Keanu Reeves also kind of gets some crap about not being that great actor, but just look at his list of what I just talked about. He can do all these things, and he does them all well, and he made $250 million for playing one role, which is more money than I will ever see in my lifetime. So props Keanu Reeves for topping this list, and that has been the top 10 highest paid movie roles of all time. All right, coming up next, I'm gonna give my review of the movie Honey Boy, and also I will reveal my top five movies of the decade. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. All right, now I want to get into my review of the movie Honey Boy. So here's how I want to do reviews on this podcast, which normally I do them on my Instagram story, and they're like 30 seconds detailing it pretty quick. But what I want to do is kind of give you a background of the director of the movie, the writer, who stars in it, give you a quick kind of rundown of what the movie's about without spoiling it. So there will be no spoilers in my reviews. Don't worry about that. And then I kind of want to get into like the, the characters in it, and also like the actors behind it, which was this one, Shia LaBeouf, is somebody I'm really fascinated with. And I followed a really long time since he was in Even Stevens back in the day. And this is a movie about his life. So I think a lot of it parallels with that that I kind of want to, I did some research on just kind of digging back into his life and because um, he wrote this movie. So we'll get into all that right now. But here is a clip of Honey Boy. Think it through. What's your mother got a job for? Just in case. In case what? <laughs> In case you fail, in case it don't no. work out. Yes, man. She's filling your head full of fear. I pump you full of strength. Because we're on a team, and I know you got what it takes. You're a star, and I know it. That's why I'm here. I'm your cheerleader, honey boy. Ah, look at that. They said the name of the movie in the trailer. Okay, so it's directed by Alma Harrell, 
which kind of comes into play a little bit later um, in the story of this movie, which is um, a bit different for her. She's an Israeli music video director. And before this, she had only done like documentaries. And so it's like her first real movie, which I thought was pretty interesting. But she actually has a relationship with Shia LaBeouf, which is kind of how this all came together. Shia LaBeouf wrote it semi-autobiographical. It's mainly his story and his relationship with his dad. Stars him playing his dad and Lucas Hedges playing a young version of Shia LaBeouf, which I thought is pretty interesting. I don't know which is weirder, playing your dad or having to direct a kid on how to play you. That That's just probably just a totally kind of weird um, set of being like, okay, I'm playing my dad, recalling like the darkest moments in our relationship. So a quick plot of the movie, it's a young actor's stormy childhood and early adult years as he struggles to reconcile with his father and deal with his mental health. So the parts of this that kind of plays off right around Shia LaBeouf's life and kind of where this movie takes place is Shia LaBeouf had some problems with, you know, public drunkenness. Um, so the first time this kind of happened was in 2014. He was in New York City, and apparently he had gone to Ireland, was drinking a lot of whiskey, landed back in New York City, started drinking, watching the World Cup, and some guy invited him to some, like, Broadway play. Shia LaBeouf goes, and he's, like, really drunk and loud and obnoxious, and he gets arrested at, after that. Um, but then again in 2017, he was arrested again for public drunkenness, and this time, they ordered him to get therapy to manage his anger. And then after that, he got sentenced to, like, court-ordered rehab. Which, while he was in rehab, he was diagnosed with PTSD. And that's kind of where this movie came about. Because he started, I guess, part of his therapy, he was having to write, basically, transcripts of him and his dad. And, like, all, like, these conversations they had. Like, the really darkest moments in his life. He was having to do this as a part of therapy to get over his PTSD. And through that, he started writing this script. And he has this script. And it's at a point in his life where, like, directors won't touch him. He got fired from a Spike Lee movie. And he has basically this script. So he takes it, to, you know, sends it to a friend. And then he sends it to this director, Alma Harrell, who's like, okay, I think we can make this into a movie. And I actually saw, like, this interview with him that he did for Variety where it's him and Kristen Stewart, like, interviewing themselves. And he talks about, like, He's only happy, like, on a set. Because that's all he knows. Like, as a kid, that's all he knows. And now it's just a weird thing of being an adult, kind of balancing that thing of being an actor and being a real person, like, on and off set. So I thought this was a little bit interesting. I just wanted to play a little bit of that. And I think I'm deeply dissatisfied in life. Yeah, but this is your life. Exactly. But, and I, this is where things get tricky for me is, like, it isn't my whole life. And I have to get okay with that. And it's usually where things go awry for me is when I'm not on a set, life gets hard. Oh. And so, like, I don't... Do you do anything else? No. This is why I'm trying to develop, you know? Trying yeah, yeah, to grow. yeah. So... Take a pottery class. Yeah, pottery class. <laughs> like, uh, people in existential crisis do, like... Yeah, pottery. Just take a pottery class about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, maybe I will. But, uh, yeah, I, I, then I, but I won't like pottery in life. No, I know. I'm totally kidding. I... But I know I what you're saying. I love pottery on set. I love pottery right. on set. Like, right. I don't like ice cream in life. But if you give me ice cream on a set, I love ice cream. And I think that's what this does for me. It makes me love things. Hmm. This, this job makes me love things. So the movie itself, it, it's pretty powerful. Like, it starts out kind of like a comedy a bit, but it's very dramatic. And I think it's very well done. I could just see it being like a real like therapy session for people going to the theater and seeing this stuff, which is probably relatable to a lot of people. 
like there's not a whole lot of movies about relationships with your father and I just thought it was an interesting thing to take on and I really enjoyed the movie because even though I don't have I wasn't able to relate to it in a way of like oh I have you know these issues with my father and therefore I kind of identify with the character in this movie I just it was refreshing to kind of see that story take place in such a raw and real way to where it at parts of it, it's even like, whoa, <laughs> like, like that scene was really intense. It's not necessarily sad. I didn't want to cry at any point, but it just felt so emotional that it's like, man, this is a really crazy story. And knowing that it was based on his life um, kind of really brought it all together. I thought it was great. I think it's great. Even if like me, for me, just knowing him from even Stevens and watching this is was enjoyable in that. Um, but the movie itself, even if you're not a fan of Shia LaBeouf and you're just kind of interested in that story of having an abusive relationship with his dad, not talking to him for almost 10 years, and then him going back through this therapy, going through those darkest moments and writing the script and then being done with the script and then telling his dad, hey, I'm going to make a movie about you. And like his dad, like a lot of the stuff uh, like is real. There's a part. I'm not spoiling anything, but like his dad was kind of like a rodeo clown. He really was that in real life. And he would teach like Shia LaBeouf um, stuff about acting from his days. There was like some resentment of like, you know, Shia LaBeouf being successful and his dad not really having a successful career there. And there's just stuff about like Shia LaBeouf starting out when he was basically like 10 years old and he would go to comedy clubs and do his own routines and his dad's biker friends would be there laughing, you know, because it's like, oh, this, this kid, he wants to be a comedian. And the way he got his first agent was he called up like a real Hollywood agent in like a British accent, I think, and pretended to be representing this new young actor named Shia LaBeouf. But it was just him doing like a voice impression. And it worked. He got an agent and he still talks to that person to this day. His whole life story is just it's unique. And I think this movie is unique. And that it's telling his story. And if I highly recommend it just because it's an awesome story. Very well done. But anyway, that's my review of Honey Boy. And now my top five movies of the decade. At number five is a movie I didn't even expect to like because I don't like singing. I don't like dancing in movies. But from this opening scene, I was like, okay, this movie has me. It's La La Land from 2016. I love Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling together in this, and it's a very artsy movie. I thought it was going to be a very pretentious movie. It was getting such great reviews, and everybody was saying that it was going to win Best Picture. So I kind of went into it thinking, like, I'm not going to like this, and ended up loving it and have gone back and watched since. I think it should have won Best Picture over Moonlight, but if you haven't seen it, even if you don't like musicals, I think you will like this movie. At number four, if you remember this clip from earlier. Now, gentlemen, if you care to join me in the parlor, we will be serving white cake. If you guessed Django Unchained, you would be right. That is Leonardo DiCaprio from 2012. And the interesting thing about this is he's not even the star of this movie, which it's very rare for him to take on a role where he's not the lead. Now, Quentin Tarantino is known for retelling history in like a really brutal way. And this one, there's a lot of tension in this movie and it really pays off like in this big epic scene, a big battle with Jamie Foxx and him when he goes to rescue his wife. The other thing about Quentin Tarantino is he makes movies for the big screen. So when you go watch a Quentin Tarantino movie like this one, you experience it in a different way that you really don't any other movie from any other director. 
at number three is a movie I think was entirely underrated. It's from 2011 called Drive with Ryan Gosling, where he plays a Hollywood stuntman who also moonlights as a getaway driver. And the movie is really dark, gritty, and intense and just has this ominous tone because this character is just really dark and mysterious. Doesn't even have a whole lot of lines in the movie. Like, he's not even credited as a name. He has no name in the movie. He's credited as Driver. And really what won this movie over for me was one specific scene where it's him, his neighbor, and his neighbor's kid. And all they do is go for a drive. And this song is playing. And it was at that movie where I connected with it in a different way because it was a really just kind of dark story told in a really cool way. And this scene just kind of tied it all together. I love it when a movie can kind of bring it back to an original song, which a lot of movies don't have anymore. But if you haven't seen this one, I highly recommend it. I won't ruin it, but man, it's crazy. At number two, would my list really be complete without a Marvel movie? From 2010, it's the first Avengers movie, which it really was the decade of Marvel. But I feel this one encompasses them all because it's the first time they're all together on the big screen. And I think it's a movie that stands on its own. After this one, you kind of got to watch another one for this one to make sense and that one to make sense. And there's a whole lot going on. But I think going back to this one is when you can just hop into at any point and get the story of the Avengers. It has everything that makes a Marvel movie great. It has a great story, great characters great humor and there's always that one scene that makes you go yeah they did it they saved the world from 2012 my number two movie of the decade the avengers and now we've made it to my number one movie of the decade drum roll please from 2013 the movie is her starring joaquin phoenix i've never identified more with the movie than watching this in theaters as a lonely guy at the time i was like man I gotta give me an operating system like that. Which I think the movie was a little ahead of its time because Siri was already a thing, but we were still a couple years away from Alexa. So we didn't really have that dynamic in our life yet. But looking back at this movie now, it's like, man, yeah, a person could really fall in love with their operating system if someone hasn't already. Directed by Spike Jones, who I think does a great job of just giving this movie a feel. It feels red to me. From the cinematography just to the wardrobe, like Joaquin Phoenix has this cool, kind of weird-shaped red coat that I actually tried to buy because I loved it so much. Um, the cell phone, everything about it kind of has this red tone and feel to it, which gives this kind of unconventional love story, like a unique feel. I think Scarlett Johansson does a really great job because she never appears on screen. It's just her voice. And actually, Scarlett Johansson wasn't the first voice they had for this. There was an other actress who actually did the entire movie. But once they were done with it, they kind of looked at it and heard it and realized, man, this voice doesn't work. They got a hold of Scarlett Johansson, got her to read the part in between her shooting for Captain America. And I think it also just gets tied in with the music. Like, I love the moon song from this. And I also think this movie stands the test of time because I rewatched it earlier this year and yeah, it's still good. If you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend it as my number one movie of the decade. And there's the list. And that's the show for this week. Thank you so much for joining me on this very first episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, hit that follow button, hit that subscribe button so you can get every single brand new episode every Monday. And if you don't mind, leave a review, leave a five-star rating because that stuff means a lot for a brand new podcast to kind of push me up there. Or simply just tag me in your Instagram story and I will repost those and give you a shout out in the next episode where I will have my first guest ever talking about the top movies of the year. And I'll also give my review of the brand new Star Wars movie. All right, sounds good. I will talk to you next week. Later.
This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.